Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Black Baseball Mixtape. This is Mixtape Talk. I am actually in a new facility, the ICA at VCU. So it's the Institute of Contemporary Art on the campus of Virginia Commonwealth University. But I am joined by, I've just got to caveat this by saying how excited I am. But I'm joined by Elton Pollock, who is the head baseball coach at Presbyterian College. Coach Pollock is going into his 19th season as the head coach, which if you've been following Mixtape Talk, you realize we've talked to quite a few. Uh, Basically, there are five black head coaches in Division I baseball going into the season outside of the HBCUs. I think there's 13 total, and there are five. Uh, outside of HBCUs that are going into this season. When we started this project, there were only two. (laughs) It was Coach Thompson at Georgetown and Coach Pollock at Presbyterian. And let me say, going into his 19th season, he is looked at as not only look, look, he's not that old. He's but but look, he's not only the elder statesman, but the dean of this thing, if you will. I am so honored to have Coach Pollock on the mixtape talk coach welcome to the program thank you so much for having me mark i really appreciate it i don't, I don't know about that dean comment, but, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not for me it's not for me it's for like from other folks that would say everybody i talked to every coach whether it was an assistant or a head coach that said hey look hey you got to talk to coach Paul because this guy has been doing it for a minute and like we said we're going into 19 seasons when you reflect on that alone um I know it kind of ebbs and flows, but when you reflect on the fact that you're going into your 19th year as the head coach and we look around and say with this season, the hiring of three new uh, black head coaches makes it only five. So for a long time, many years, uh, there were two and then there was probably only one. If that Uh, when you reflect on this journey going into your 19th season, uh, how do you put that in perspective? How do you put in perspective that it's, you know, there's obviously you have, have, have staked your claim. There's progress being made, but there's still a long way to go when it comes to black coaches, head coaches in division one baseball. Well, I think you just said it all, to be honest. I mean, when I first got into division one, we were a program that made the transition from D two to D one. And, Upon my arrival, there were three at the time, uh, and there was Tony Gwynn at San Diego State, and there was also Jay Alexander um, at Eastern Michigan. And Jay and I used to play each other, and we would have these types of conversations uh, very frequently. And I actually, through the interview process at Duke University, met Edwin I was so impressed by him and his story and everything that he had done working for Sean McNally there um, that, you know, he was kind of the interim guy uh, when I interviewed um, and I had made a conscious decision that I was going to, you know, hire him or keep him on uh, through that process and the friendship that we developed. And um, man, if there's a, if there's a Dean right now, an advocate, uh, I would definitely say Edwin is uh is very much uh, that just in, you know, the perspective of work ethic and, and just being so, um, you know, thankful for his tunnel vision uh, a little bit because, uh, you know, he's, he's doing 
a lot to change the game. And all of the coaches are uh, that have been selected. So you're talking about over 100% increase uh, just exactly. in, in this exactly. year, uh, which is a huge deal. But, man, in no way, shape, or form um, is it where it needs to be, in my opinion. So let's talk a little bit about that. And you made a great point that when you got your head coaching job at Presbyterian, it it, it was a – I believe it was a Division two program, right, and it made the transition into Division one. Talk talk to me a little bit about what you've seen in re, in regards to points of entry for coaches, young coaches, uh, points of entry for even players. It, points of entry about how do we grow the game to make it a little bit more uh, more diverse? Because again, not only through Presbyterian but through USA Baseball, I'm sure you've seen so much. Um, and we have, like you said, we do have these conversations quite quite a bit, especially amongst us. But what have you seen that has made it, um, I guess, a little bit difficult to enter entry? And then what would you suggest as ways that would make it a little bit just a little bit easier for, um, you know, coaches to get into the game, even players to, to get into the game um, that may not necessarily have the background as a, as a traditional recruit? Well, I think it takes, you know, positions, number one. Um, and so, you know, the baseball structure, there's a volunteer assistant. I think that's a very difficult position to, uh, from an entry-level standpoint, to sustain yourself, to be able to support yourself. Uh, and you've got to have a tremendous network to make that happen. Uh, that is something that a lot of us are not privy to, uh, the ability to work for free for a year, two, or three uh, in order to navigate and find your first paid opportunity. Um, so, you know, I think it's a position thing. I, I think I know that the transformation committee is meeting about the addition of sports for, or I'm sorry, the addition of positions for uh, teams that are able to, you know, fund those particular positions, kind of doing away with the volunteer uh, position. I think that's on the docket. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, the addition of of that position, I think, would at least, um, you know, from a paid standpoint, provide an opportunity for uh, the slot. Now, outside of that, I mean, you still have to, like I mentioned Edwin earlier, he's got a, a huge uh, notebook or Rolodex of, of black coaches he, he that are available. Um and he and I've talked extensively. Matter of fact, that's my first call. Anytime I have a an open position to see kind of what's out there to to make sure I am you know diligent about at least providing the opportunity to interview um, and making sure that it's a good fit uh, for what we're trying to do. And I think you know that's ultimately what we want to do. And 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 that's even in the recruiting process. I think also more of our kids playing at the collegiate level is a big deal. Um, and so, you know, we've been really diligent about, you know, recruiting more diversity to Presbyterian College um, in all aspects and trying to really make sure that we are, you know, just going to uh, as many events. Um, the most viable prospects uh, event in Atlanta is one. And then we've got some events in Charlotte that we attend and and, um, you know, Jackie Robinson, just making sure that we are present at a lot of these events or at least have access uh, to a lot of the coaches so that uh, we can get those recommendations to to give our rosters uh, a more diverse look. 
So I think more kids playing and then the opportunity has to be there to go somewhere. You have to have the positions. Most of, I mean, the positions right now are filled. Uh, it's more of a buddy system. And so, I mean, we get boxed out. Uh, if you're not in, you get boxed out. Do you feel uh, progress is being made? Uh, obviously, like we said, we talked about the the increase of over 100%. We're, we're talking about three, obviously, three new head coaches. In your time and just kind of being around the game and looking at this, have you seen uh, progress being made, like you said, in, in, in players playing the game? But also, have you seen progress in uh, African-American coaches that want to coach? Like, have you seen kind of an increased interest in those types of uh, – and those types of things, uh, and, and, and I'm hoping it's because some of, you know, some of these programs that we're seeing are working, like some of the programs that you mentioned, uh, Jackie Robinson, uh, the Hank Aaron Invitational, Jackie Robinson Day, some of the, mm-hmm. some of those things. But um, in your journey, especially now, and since we're talking, uh, it seems to be front of mind on a lot of consciousness. Uh, ha- have you seen a little bit of progress being made, especially in the interest of African-Americans wanting to be at the coaching ranks? Well, I think the desire is there for sure. I think, you know, I, I just don't, you know, I, the opportunity can, can really, um, it can detour you from like, how, how do I do it? How do I navigate this? And I think that's where you have to have, and that's where MLB, you know, there, there's, there's funding involved. They, they, there's these different programs. I mean, the RBI and so many other things that started years ago mm-hmm. uh, where there was a conscious effort because of the need. And I think, you know, college baseball is behind in that regard. Um, there have been talks. I know Kerry Jackson was, you know, he was the chair of the diversity committee, I think, uh, with the ABCA. And mm-hmm. and there was headway made. And, and you know, I think I've seen the change be more in the circle or the realm of those that have that particular interest, if that makes sense. Tim Corbin's your Tim Corbin's of the world, your Eric Backage, uh, Backage's of the world, even your Dan McDonald's, uh, those guys get it, you know, from the power five perspective of, you know, diversity and that element of, you know, having really good black baseball players, who aren't just athletes, but very cerebral and can play the game and 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 can do it at a high level. And then having those, um, you know, once they go on and they play pro ball uh, to be able to come back to college, you know, there just has to be the opportunity to be able to do that. If there's no opportunity, I mean, they don't, they don't, um, we don't really, we can't afford to continue to see it through if there is no light. So, and therein lies, you know, guys like us, I would say the, the five right now, or the 13, uh, as you include uh, the HBCUs just have to be, um, you know, have to squeak. I mean, we gotta, we gotta get the oil in order to, to make this change. So I think that's really what has to happen. I mean, the Avenue, there's been a lot of things tossed around to make that happen. My idea is to, to have the additional coaching positions on staff, uh, that you can slot uh, minorities into, uh, in particular black coaches. No, I agree 100%. Um, those, those those early kind of volunteer positions, assist, assistant positions too, are just such a grind. It's such a grind and it makes it so difficult. You it's also hard. you also mentioned, uh, I think, something that's really important and something that applies to your life. Uh, you graduated from Presbyterian, played baseball at Presbyterian. I, I, I Look, 
I've done the research. I know you not only was a single, you were a two port, two sports star, right? Over, uh, did you play football and baseball over there? Yeah, I was football, baseball. I mean, that was again, I was doing the, the Dion and the, as you mentioned, Bo, Bo Jackson. And, very Ricky Hendrish of you as well. Like, Ricky Hendrishon was a big uh, two sports star as well before yeah, he, yeah. Before he went Ryan on. Ryan Jordan. But uh, you, uh, but you graduated from Presbyterian, then you had the opportunity to come back. And, yeah. And that, tell me a little bit about that. Just obviously, you, you've been there uh, nearly two decades now, but but playing at Presbyterian College and then having the opportunity to come back and lead the next generation over at Presbyterian, what, what's that been like for you? Well, the, the story the story is a little bit different because it's you know I did graduate from PC. Uh, I was a football baseball guy. I had two tremendous coaches. Tim Corbin uh, actually recruited me at Presbyterian College. He was my head coach at Presbyterian. Oh wow. Uh, prior to going to Clemson and now Vandy. Uh, so that relationship is still alive and well uh, and a great source of information and, and anything that I really need in the game. I've been able to lean on him for that. Uh, I, I played under Tim for two years and then Doug Kovash, who's still a great mentor of mine, who works for Sanford University. He's out of baseball now, but he went to, to the uh, Birmingham area as an assistant at Sanford and also at Birmingham Southern uh, before getting into um, – some different things that have now gotten him back into uh, the university system as a fundraiser for Sanford. Um, but those are guys that had great inspiration on me. And in addition to the football coaches. So I had influence from both. They all worked together to, to allow me to do that in this setting. Um, once I graduated, went on and, and was drafted by the pirates and got a chance to play professionally. Um, and once that was done, I went into the business world. Uh, I utilized my degrees from Presbyterian to go out and I was a computer guy. And uh, that took me to Atlanta and Raleigh, uh, got married and then moved back to <laughs> the Clinton area. My wife took a job here in, in Lawrence County and the assistant position opened up under my old head coach, Doug Kovash. And he asked if I wanted to coach and there was such a salary differential uh, like we just about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, so I mean, I go from uh, the tech age and tech world to doing pretty well to, um, you know, working for, uh, I think it was a $2,400 stipend or $2,800 stipend for the year. And my wife is like, you want to do what? You know, I mean, it's been like, but we didn't have kids. And, um, you know, I wanted to get back on the diamond and it was an opportunity to do that as an assistant. And I'm very thankful to Coach Kovash and, you know, for allowing me that opportunity to be able to do that. And lo and behold, it was, um, you know, it was it was the best decision I've ever made. I didn't get into it for money. I think it was something that I had a great support system in a wife that understood where my passions were in life. Uh, everybody doesn't have that. Everybody, you know. I mean, of course, I couldn't go back to mom and dad at that point and say, hey, I got to, you know, I want to I want to post baseball. But, you know, and I think that's the dilemma that a lot of us get into, especially in my non-traditional route, having gone to work in the business world, mm -hmm. um, earning a living and now going back or backtracking to be able to you know, decide I want to coach baseball. So so lo and behold, I am at my alma mater um, there. I've been through. Um, I think it's three presidents, uh, a host of ADs and different, um, you know, leadership. But the main constant has been me and even some of the other coaches that have been here for a while. Um, but just 
having that dedication, having that um, just really willingness to give back and for it to be a place that you want to be, to be able to build something, they get the uh, diversity model. uh, And a lot of what we're trying to do as an institution uh, is starting to line up with uh, a lot of the ideas that I have and a lot of the other coaches have um, for making our teams look like what society actually looks like. Well, that's a good point. Speak to me about that longevity because it's it's longevity in a position, especially the head coaching position, but it came with a lot of success as well. Like you said, train um, transitioning from Division Two to Division One, having record record win seasons at Presbyterian in many ways, um, getting to getting to the tourney and ultimately also getting to the NCAA regional. Um, talk to me about what is it about Presbyterian that has allowed you to to stay there this long. And then in addition, with success comes people mm. <laughs> calling you, looking at you again. You've talked about some of the relationships you had with coaches that have gone on at different levels. Um, has there ever been any, um, you know, times where you and your family had opportunities where you were like, oh, you know, we have to entertain. Obviously, you you, you stayed a Presbyterian. I, don't worry, Presbyterian fans. He's going to be there for a long time more. But <laughs> but how how does that work? Because again, with success comes the the opportunities, and then that thought, oh, maybe there, you know, there's a there's there's a chance to do something at a different setting or even a bigger conference or something like that. Well, I, I think it's twofold. Two things that that you mentioned. No, number one, the longevity. I think that comes from the ability to adapt. I think the kids have changed over the course of 20 years um, just in what they have access to. I mean, obviously, from a social media aspect that we deal with today uh, and a lot more sensitivity and exposure to information uh, that may not have gotten out there uh, 20 years ago uh, the way that it does now. So there's a lot of caution, a lot of eggshells that you have to step on in the way that you coach. You have to adapt to uh, to the kid. And I think early on in my career, um, I, I I transformed, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I think there's a, you know, when I first started, I was not, I, I really was so gung-ho, so push, so, so discipline oriented. I really did not get to know the player like I do uh, today. And I think that there's a maturity level that goes as, as, uh, along with that. I think there's, um, some humility that has to happen. Um, I, I've, I've been humbled. I, I've been, you know, t- I, I, I kind of pride myself on being a guy that can can teach hitting and, and you know, teach the outfield, teach, teach different aspects of the game uh, from a fundamental standpoint. But I realized when we struggled, you know, just how much I, I didn't know or how much I needed to continue to learn, how much I con- needed to continue to uh, just renew my mind and, and and continue that transformation if I wanted to be really good at it. And I, and that came from, you know, having some good assistants that, you know, that I trusted, uh, that were open and honest with me about um, just maybe opening my mind to some different ways to do some things. And, you know, and then having a lot of faith to, you know, to, to be able to do that. Um, but also faith in the higher power that I was just driven to, you know, that I needed to change some things personally. And I think that's, that's where I saw the transition. I thought, you know, once I was able to do that, I was able to have that humility with my guys, uh, to not be afraid to admit when I'm, I'm wrong. So that if I'm going to hold them accountable to that same standard, that they would be able to take responsibility and accountability for everything that they 
uh, produce or the lack thereof. And so those things, uh, I think, in the line of that created longevity. Uh, I will say from the aspect that you mentioned of going to different places or being interviewed and and having aspirations, I think everybody has aspirations to to coach it at the highest level. Um, I mean, we're, I think, the smallest division one in the country, to be honest, um, from from a population standpoint. So we always play with a chip on our shoulder and everything else. But this culture that we have now, uh, as I would call it, a championship culture, uh, especially coming off the 2021 uh, championship run that we had, as you mentioned, uh, to win a conference title and then go on to a regional. Um, it was an awesome experience. But I mean, all steps and roads led to that, uh, you know, everything that we had gone through in the transition period from D2. I mean, there's some very good division two baseball that we played in the South Atlanta conference uh, team that was dominated by Catawba. And even to this day, uh, I think, you know, Wingate is in that conference and they won a national title here um, just a few years back. Got a really good head coach there and and uh, and Jim Gann at Catawba. Those guys kind of are the headliners for for the South Atlantic Conference Division Two. As we made that transition, we weren't eligible for championships for about seven years. Right. No, so, right. you know, having to recruit during that time, you know, this is where I think, you know, my story from a serving the institution from a from a sticking it out standpoint. Uh, also, the institution sticking with me through that process. But, man, I. We wore a lot of losses and, and a lot of things had to happen. There was a lot of growth, uh, hurtful growth, you know, pruning even that happened during that time. Uh, and a lot of that is necessary as you're moving forward and you're building something. But as I look back, man, I started to accumulate a record that was lopsided. And so in order to, you know, really at this level, especially power fives, I mean, you got to I got to do a really good job of painting that picture and that story D2 to D1 transition, sure. you know, because I mean, it is about wins and losses in the eyes of a lot of people when you talk about overall record. Um, but I think Presbyterian has given me a chance to to go through something, to get to something and uh, can see what we're building from a consistency standpoint. Now, we still have to. You know, we still got to go toe to toe with Campbell in our league, who uh, produced two first rounders last year, and they've had a couple of first rounders uh, in years past, and not just their first rounders. It's had it's had some um, some good um, moderate picks that have been, you know, a little lesser that have gone on and played in the big league. So, you know, Coastal was in our league uh, up till 2016, they, uh, or 20, yeah, 2016 was their last year, uh, the year that they won the national championship. So, you know, we've had very good. Right. And you guys beat them. It was the first time in right Presbyterian. First time Presbyterian had beat like a ranked team in the top. I can't remember what number it was, but but your your a team that you led got got a victory over Coastal Carolina. That was I think a landmark victory, right? Sure, sure. I mean, and again, you know, Gary Gilmore, one of the best to ever do it uh, down there. Well over a thousand wins at this point in his career, and and one of the mentors and one of the guys that I look to for. A lot of different things, and his story is is tremendous and what he's gone through. Uh, but again, I've been influenced by a lot of this. The struggles have have really 
taught me to be the type of coach that I've always wanted to play for, having some humility and, and really pouring into the kids and loving on them. And it's not cliche. I mean, I'm in the cages still every single day, every single practice. <laughs> we're going to talk, talk about we're going to talk about just week. We're going to talk about just week. But you do bring up an interesting point because um, uh, going through that transition and and those being some some difficult days, and I look at some of the other interviews and some of the other coaches I talked to. Uh, you mentioned Coach Jackson, who's over at Memphis now. When he took over Southern, it was a single digit win situation turned around. To a, to a place where they, they were wins. Uh, Coach Thompson and I talk about the, the, the first season at Georgetown, which I think was it might have even been shortened or, you know, there was, there was a lot of COVID time around there. But yeah, um, single-digit wins. They that... went from single-digit wins to Big East Coach of the Year. So it, it's, it's, it's not a uh, – it's a story, uh, fortunate or unfortunately, where uh, a lot of our coaches have to – we're in difficult situations and then we, we have to turn, you know, turn those programs around. I know, uh, uh, coach Beamers, I think his team's a little bit in the middle of the pack, a little bit lower, but he's got some work to do. Uh, I was joking around with, uh, Lance Ratchford over at Marist college. And I was like, Hey, look, you're coming into a really good situation. He's like the only coach coming into a really, he's coming into a really good situation. That, again, there's other coaches have good situations down and you, um, like, uh, I, I, you did mention the, the some of the early days, but let's not let's not forget. You I mean record breaking thirty two win season? Another, I believe, another thirty win season in there as well. And these are like you're saying the recent, more recent years of, of your leadership in the program. So I, I know that it is a situation where you had to go through the storm, as they say. Mm. And it definitely looks like you're on the other side of it. Talk to me a little bit about. Uh, the program you have now and the boys you have now and the team you're looking for, uh, looking to put together as you go into the spring season. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, it, it's a built program. I, I would say, you know, it, it's, it's uh, we don't, we don't handle a tremendous amount of transfers. Obviously that's, you know, we, 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 we're not in the grad transfer market at all because we don't have graduate school at Presbyterian college. So, um, you know, we will, you know, entertain the junior college market and and even the four year transfer market. They've even made that a lot tougher now, uh, with some of the stipulations and parameters that they've placed on four year transfers, where you're married to them basically throughout the remainder of their time with your program. So I know a lot of coaches are, and I'm, by that I mean uh, obligated to their scholarship, right. yeah. no matter what they do in your right. program. Uh, and so there's there's that. So we have always been a farm system, if you will, you know, building it from uh, just for an example, from rookie ball all the way to the big leagues. And so that I think is sustainable uh, once you once you get that to a point where you can have those successes. And so the years that you talked about, the 32 wins was 2017, the, the 30 wins was 2019, mm -hmm. uh, the championship year was 2021. Yep. Uh, we're embarking on 23, so I pray for good things to happen again. I mean, it seems like it's on these odd years. Uh, oh, I like it. Hilarious. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, but I think that farm system and the culture that we have has really been perpetuated by the assistants, uh, by myself, but also by the kids. They come in and they understand what it is to work. We don't have all the bells and whistles of a lot of the other programs. So, man, we it is what we make it. It's It's about you. And, you know, one of the things that I even hold my coaches accountable uh, to to this, it's like, you know, how how much of, you know, they always talk about they feel a certain way, this and that. I'm like, well, you know, personally, how much 
you know, how much of how you feel am I responsible for? You know, you got to make it what it is mm. and you got to push. And so I do the same thing. You know, I do the same exact thing. Come to work with energy each and every day. I mean, to see us scrimmage on the weekend. Um, if you didn't know me, you'd think I was kind of a, uh, a little bit out there. But I, I think it's, you know, I'm loud on the field. I, sure. I want the guys to. To, to be excited when it's time to do that. I want them to understand. I mean, baseball is not this boring game. No, it's an energy game. It's a momentum game. And we want to capture that momentum. That's a real thing that you can legitimately see as you're, as you're going in and through uh, those games and everything else. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, just, just trying to, trying to do it right and come to work every day and, and make it, make it happen. This is a softball question, but it is a, it, you describe the type of player that you're looking for and the type of team and the type of energy. Uh, was that the type of player you were? Mm. Des- describe uh, Elton Pollock, the player. I'm usually, uh, I-, I usually like for other people to do that. <laughs> it's, look, it's, it's been 25 years, coach. You can, you, we come, we come, we can tell me what type of player you were. Could, how about this? Here's another one. Could you play for yourself? If you saw oh, a young. No doubt. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. You know, I, I, I give everybody a nickname on my team. So, you know, that I, I'd like to uh, – I don't know. I played for Tim Corbin. He was demanding um, in college. Uh, in pro ball, Jeff Bannister, mm. um, who I think man, he managed the uh, Texas Rangers uh, in recent years. Man, those guys were tough. Those guys, those, those guys demanded <laughs> – I mean, they. I mean, they could grind us back then, and you know, they weren't the same stipulations. And, I have a feeling. I, I have a feeling that some of your players might say, "Man, that coach Pollock is pretty tough." <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's no doubt about that. But they also know that it's in love now. Right, they know right, that. Right. You know, I don't. I, I don't just dog a kid to do that. That's not my. You know, right, I, right. I may challenge them in certain ways, but I mean, I'm always communicating with them, even if it's. You know, I, I know if I've been a little rough on a kid, man, I'll shoot him a text. Or if right. I want them to wear it to that next day and, and see how they responded, I mean, it'll be that. But there will always be dialogue and conversation after that. But I don't know. To answer your question, I, I would say <laughs> I was probably a football player playing baseball. You know, you can run over the catcher back when I played. So, uh, you know, I'm not probably not supposed to, but I, mean, I had a few of those incidents. Did now talk to me? Did you enjoy you? You mentioned earlier that you got drafted and played pro ball. Did you enjoy that experience? Did you enjoy uh, kind of uh, everybody? Not look. You've been through something that the majority of the world has not been through in regards to being drafted alone and playing pro ball. Everybody would say, "Oh man, I'd love to play pro ball," but again, it different things for different different people. Did you enjoy the experience? I know um, it was. I'd read that you were able to to spend time with the late Willie Stargell and some of those types mm-hmm. of things. Tell me about that experience for you at the time, reflective-wise. Yeah. Well, my, my pro ball experience was phenomenal. I mean, I, I loved it. Um, I loved the relationships probably more than anything. As I mentioned, uh, you know, the late Willie Stargell was – I mean, he was – he was really everybody's mentor. Uh, mm-hmm. He was there at spring training, he was sitting on a golf cart every day. He had a <laughs> cigar and a big straw hat. And I mean, it was just like, you know, I mean, but we were around royalty uh, at that level. 
Um, you know, I think the level of instruction, to be totally honest, over the years mm -hmm. has gotten so much more, so much better. Obviously, the analytics and everything play into a lot of the, the data and a lot of the teaching these days. Uh, I'm still very old school in, in, in how I teach it from a fundamental standpoint. I do see the value in a lot of the analytics. But, you know, for me, uh, my pro ball experience being around just different guys in the Pirates organization. Um, we were in Bradenton, Florida for spring training uh, back then. And you had uh, Sarasota, which was right next door. You had the White Sox. I mean, that was during a time where Frank Thomas and Albert Bell were, were uh, with the with the White Sox. And, and, you know, we got a chance. We played them a lot because we were so close. And there would be days when we would see Albert Bell hitting in the cages or Frank Thomas, you know, just, just getting after it. And it was um, – you know, we didn't have a lot of those huge name guys because uh, when I played with the Pirates, uh, it was right after Bonds and Bonilla and Vance Light were traded. Um, so you had Jason Kendall, you had Al Martin, you had uh, you had some other guys that were in the big leagues, but the Pirates were, <laughs> were rebuilding. It seemed like we still rebuilding um, you know, <laughs> as we go through. But, oh, that's you know. It, it but, was, but a lot of legends. You mean, like you said, a lot of legends. legends that could come back. Those Pirate teams. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we had, man, we had Pete Vukovic was yeah. our roving pitching guy. You had Bobby Meacham who played with the Yankees. He was our inf roving infield guy. Um, you know, Bill Verdon was the outfield instructor. So you, you man, you had you had a wealth of knowledge there. Sure. I think Lloyd McClendon was uh, was the roving hitting guy who wound up managing with Seattle uh, eventually. And um, but this just the daily like kind of what we do in a lot of our programs, just the daily teaching. You know, the the one on one time you, you spend so much time playing games that a lot of that, um, you know, again, I could talk about travel ball and all of that stuff. Uh, but the actual teaching, man, that's that's one of the reasons I love what I do and, and where I do it, to be totally honest, because I get a chance to dig in and not just teach the skill level, uh, but teach the mentality, but also get to know who the kids are and what their makeup is so that you can dial into them mentally as well. Now, are you able to uh, use that experience to flex on any of the kids uh, that might yeah. think they're hot stuff and say, hey, look, 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 you, you know, you were you were drafted. Your name's still over the Presbyterian record books. That, I mean, that, I mean, I, I'm telling you, I would know I was never the player <laughs> that had the opportunity to flex on anyone. But I'm sure there is an opportunity that comes to say, hey, look, that's pretty good. But eh, eh, no. Nah. Hey, <laughs> That's just not that's just not my MO, man. Not not anymore. Honestly, when I first that's got funny. in, that was probably the detriment uh, uh, of me, to be honest. Uh too much ego, that's not funny. enough humility. And honestly, that whole that whole thing changed, man. I'm telling you, when you go through that transformation, sure. I mean, you know, I'm not telling you that I didn't do some great things at, at PC and I, I had some great coaches and teammates that allowed a lot of that to happen. Um, that's awesome. But man, if these kids care to know, they'll look it up. I mean, that's that's all. Let know. me get you out of here on a couple couple fun ones. Who who were who were your guys growing up? Who who did you look at when you were growing up and say, I want to I want to play like these guys, I want to be like these guys? Man, I grew up watching the Cardinals. I, I like fast guys, the Vince mm -hmm. Coleman's, the Willie McGee's. Ozzie Smith was my one of my favorites, but my all time was probably Tony Gwynn. I mean to have a chance to have a conversation with him when I first started coaching back in 0203 um, and seeing him at the first convention that I ever attended and having an opportunity to ask him questions 
um, was just phenomenal. So I would say Tony Gwynn. I'm still a Barry Bonds. Uh, mm-hmm. just watching him do it each and every day. I mean, I think he's to, from a hand-eye coordination of power uh, to be able to hit the one pitch you see per game uh, 500 feet. That's that's a pretty extraordinary uh, skill. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, I gravitated to, to those guys. Uh, if there was a pitcher, living or dead of all time, that you would like to face, your dream matchup facing a pitcher, who would you want to hit off of? God Almighty! <laughs> hey, I, I'll tell you, I, two other coaches said the same name, I, which is, I, and I think they're insane, by the way. But who, who do you got? I, I for me, I ain't saying what I would do with with him. I, I just want to see it from that side. It would probably be Doc Gooden. It okay. would probably be the breaking ball from Doc Gooden to really see what that looked like. Um, I feel like that's a, that's an acceptable answer. Uh, I think two of the coaches said uh, Bob Gibson, and I think they're insane. I think they, they feel like no they want to see. I'm, it. <laughs> I'm not standing in on Bob Gibson. <laughs> they no. said they want to see it. They want to see it, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" That's it. I that's don't have not, not me, <laughs> coach. Coach, this has been uh, phenomenal. You mentioned when you started this, uh, you, you you know you, your wife. You 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 moved back, decided to coach. You said you didn't have a family. I know you have a, a wonderful family now. How how do you step mm. away from the game and uh, like when you're st- when you're stepping away from the game? How do you step away from the game and 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 enjoy yourself? Um, a lot of times it is with family. You know, my son plays now. I get a lot of enjoyment. Like you mentioned, your eight year old. I got an eleven year old. Uh, he loves the game. He's my bat boy. I've got him in the dugout. I got him uh, as often as I can, as his schedule will permit. Uh, to do that. Um, my wife is phenomenal. Uh, she's actually a physician and, um, you know, she is, um, has her own practice. So she's busy a lot. <laughs> so sometimes we're ships passing in the night, especially during the season. Uh, but I've got two in college, one at, uh, one at Clemson, a daughter at Clemson, another daughter at North Carolina A&T. Um, and, um, and then we've got two at home. So the nest is dwindling. Uh, I got a nut. So I've got three daughters at, my my youngest daughter at home is a cheerleader, and then I've got my son that that plays uh, baseball and football. So so no, I'm I'm uh, I'm a family guy through and through. But I also like to hunt. I I, I do. Uh, I'm I'm a deer hunter by by. Uh, that's okay. where my relaxation okay. comes in. There we go. This is look, coach. This is phenomenal. This is the absolute last question, and the only reason is because you mentioned Vince Coleman, and I actually Man. had a running argument with another coach, uh, Coach Jackson. Over there at Memphis, Kerry Jackson, and we were because, and I'll and I'll ask you the same question because I think he said it, and we are we we had a conversation about this in today's game. Would Vince Coleman be a major league baseball player? Would he would he have the would because Vince Coleman was almost basically a project, and that mm. they developed into a major league baseball player, and the argument was in 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 today's game. Vince Carter, there's a possibility that he doesn't even make the majors, doesn't doesn't get drafted, doesn't get the you know the work put into him. Do you think players that would not necessarily mention Ricky Henderson? He's a phenomenal, uh, you know, obviously legendary Hall of Fame player, but he was he was a football player also with amazing baseball skills. The there there's a question that there's just kind of this lack of development. Um, you kind of get these kind of ready-made projects, and then kind of make them. Do you think Vince, a, a Vince Coleman type player, is there a place for him in the game now? 
Well, I I think there's a place for Vince in the game. All right. I, I'll tell you why. Because the game transitions. The game, the game always at some point, you know, when you look at what's going on now, um, as teams get to the playoffs, Braves lead the majors in homers. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Dodgers, both of those teams are sitting at home, and you get a guy that can get on base like Vince. You know, there's still value in that guy that can sure. get on base. Uh, there, there's no doubt in my mind about that. And the game is going to transition back uh, to some degree. I mean, you may have to make some changes like move the mound back to 70 feet or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking but, at the stolen base numbers and I was I, the idea that Ricky Henderson would have 136 in a season. And I look at yeah. the game today. I'm like, it's never. That's never gonna get broken. It's never unless something significantly changes. There's, there's no. You know, you're looking at. He had 100 stolen bases by like the first of August, and I looked at the number this year, and it was. Uh, I want to say it was like 26. <laughs> was it the same? Where Ricky Anderson had 100, and they, like the leader yeah. of Major League Baseball had like 26 this year. I was like, this is. It's never. It's never going back. It's not. It's not going there. <laughs> Well, I mean, everything's about the home run, man. So on, and they want to drive you in from first base. So, you know, I oh, mean, the value of the, of the stolen base is just, you know, it has dwindled. So we're painful. seeing the transition. Yes, yeah, it is painful, but people are still fast. Right, you know, right. They're still running. <laughs> they're still fast. <laughs> Coach, yeah. this has been phenomenal. I wish you the very, very best as you go into, uh, I believe, your 19th season. That is amazing. And just talking to you. Uh, learning a little bit about yourself, learning about the program. Uh, it is – I can't wait to see what happens in the next – look, the, the next 20 of, of your tenure yeah. over at Presbyterian hey. Plus. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been an honor. Well, I appreciate you having me, Mark. And much success to you moving forward. Thank you uh, so much. We'll be, we'll be in touch. It's, hopefully this will be uh, – we'll be able to talk, uh, especially as the season goes on, because, I'm like you said, those, those odd years, I'm excited for you. So we'll see. Look, we'll see what's coming <laughs> right. up. I know. Yeah, ladies, no doubt. We'll ladies and gentlemen, this is Mixtape Talk. You can follow us at the Black Baseball Mixtape everywhere. Uh, videos are on YouTube. The blog is up, and podcasts will be coming. Until next time, we see it.